What in the hell just happened? Coast to Coast podcast here from InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. Recording this Sunday night, March the 27th, the Tar Heels just put away the St. Peter's Peacocks to advance to the final freaking four. Coast to Coast Podcast here. We are so glad that you have joined us. Happy to be doing the show. Happy to be talking about another Tar Heel win. Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, I, I have no idea what's going on other than to think that in February... Uh, the Tar Heels just were probably in the locker room singing, it's only a test that you're going through, but they, they didn't like that. I don't know that they were singing that. This is what it feels like Tar Heels, not just sweet 16, as we talked about last week. Now, final freaking four. Sean, how you feeling? I'm doing another, another week. I'm doing fantastic. Um, you know, th- th- this today, Sunday, it was a little different than, than Friday night. Uh, but still, I mean, it's, you know, an amazing, amazing accomplishment, especially, you know, going through all these podcasts and talking about the games. I mean, I think maybe best of best case scenarios, but I know we were all just hoping, you know, a huge win would be them getting through the opening weekend. And here we are (laughs) talking about them going to the final four, which is crazy to say. It is absolutely insane. And by the way, if you're not following Sean on Twitter at Sean Mo hoops, S E A N M O hoops. Follow the man on Twitter. Get some insight. You can find a way to connect with Sean outside of this pod. There might be just a few uh, reverse jinxes uh, going on this week. We'll see. Hey, look, you do what you got to do. Go where you go. You know, do what you do. Sheryl McMillan, how you feeling? Good. You, you got my spirits up. I, I started singing. I got a testimony. So uh, look, <laughs> bring it, man. <laughs> Shouts to Reverend Clay Evans. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, good, I'm good. Uh, look, man, you you've had a big weekend, big uh, big five birthday for your, for your little girl. Uh, you know, swung her through Chapel Hill, let her see the goodness, and, and now we've got a podcast of an extended season to discuss. So I am thankful that you guys are here. Uh, special shout out to Johnny T-shirt for sponsoring this. Before we even talk about Johnny T-shirt, I want to let you know that as you're listening to this right now, wherever you're getting this, however you're consuming it, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Go to johnnytshirt.com. They have the Final Four locker room t-shirt available for pre-order. If you're listening to the show, you're likely a potential purchaser of said shirt. Make it happen. Support Johnny T-Shirt. Premium subscribers, get that extra 10% off. Go do it. Make it happen now. Guys, Friday night at approximately late 30, the Tar Heels beat UCLA 73-66. to First thing I want to talk about is how spot on our man Sean Moran was with his analysis of that game. Terrell, how spot on was Sean? He, he's pretty much spot on from from Hawkeyes <laughs> uh, on down. He he nailed the roster pretty well. Um, so Sean, I want to give you a shout out there. And then tonight, Tar Heels sixty nine forty nine in a game that, as much as Tar Heel fans and Inside Carolina subscribers may have been stressed in the second half, was never in doubt. Sixty nine nice to forty nine over St. Peter's, just an improbable matchup to begin with, which if you think about this Tar Heel team, the fact that they were being considered by the CBS broadcast crew to be the Goliath against the St. Peter's David is a little bit of a head scratcher, but Hey, you do the narrative you want to do guys. I want to start here. 49 points is what the Tar Heels held the St. Peter's Peacocks to. If you look at how they played against UCLA down the stretch, uh, they held the, the Bruins to an, absolutely terrible field goal shooting percentage and also was really getting them away from their comfort zone. Sean has North Carolina become a defensive team over the course of the last six games. Well, they've definitely, definitely improved defensively against St. Peter's that, you know, by points per possession, that was their fourth best game on the year. And then from UCLA perspective, you know, UCLA was hitting some crazy tough shots uh, in the first half, but, they only scored, I think, 12, you know, 10 to 12 points in the final 10 minutes of the game. So UNC was able to, to shut them down. I mean, for, for St. Peter's, they only we always talk about offensive rating. They only have one guy over 100. Uh, Doug Eater was at 
39, 38, you know, something like that. And I think once again, that goes in large part to what we talked about last week after the, the Baylor game, Leakey uh, has stepped up and is playing at a high level, but it's also, you know, the guards, they're, they're locked in, they're, they're playing well defensively. Um, you know, if they get beat, there is help. I think the one thing we have seen when Armando isn't getting dragged out, he has been kind of that rim protector that uh, the team has needed and been looking for. And, you know, Brady Manick has been playing well, sliding his feet, rebounding the ball. So they, they've all been playing, you know, as one fist um, and, and they've been playing very well together. Sherelle, Sean mentioned Leaky Black. Are there enough words to describe the level to which he has ascended and how much he has amplified his singular defensive game basically since March started for the Tar Heels? Uh, there's some words. <laughs> we will try to use some of them now. I think when you look at uh, these, these really great Carolina teams that have made runs in the past, um, there's always that guy who um, – and it, it varies by position. Sometimes it's the point guard. Sometimes it's a wing. Sometimes it's a big. But there's always that guy who you know you can count on defensively, defensively to bring it every night. It's not saying that all the other players don't, but just this, this person on that particular team uh, is just excelled at defense. You know, Derek Feltz, you start talking about him back in, in 1993. Um, really, to some degree, Rasheed Wallace, you know, back in those final four teams because it was very difficult to get to the rim with him, you know, in the middle. And the list goes on and on. And I think Leakey has, has kind of submitted himself as, as that guy. Uh, for this particular team, now a Final Four team, which is still um, <laughs> hard to believe. Still, by the end believe. of the show, you will be used to saying it. It's okay. Yeah, That's yeah, my goal. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's he's in that category now of, of defensive stoppers who completely erase, um, you know, the the some of the best players on the other team. I think what's different about Leaky is that the way basketball has changed. You know, uh, Derek, great guy, friend of the program, uh, but he mostly guarded ones and twos. Mm -hmm. uh, Rashid, you know, great guy, not necessarily a friend, friend of the program, but he mostly guarded fives, you know, the occasional four. Help Leaky, side, help side rim protector. Help side, yeah. help side rim protector. Leaky is on the perimeter and he's guarded everything from, uh, you know, uh, the guy at Ellis at Louisville um, to Paolo Bengaro. I mean, he's literally guarded everything one through four. And at times he's guarded five. So I think his versatility is, was different. Um, you know, people talked about Jackie Manuel, who's on the st staff and the relationship they have. I'm sure that's been a huge piece of it, um, as Jackie has that experience of being the defensive stopper on a team. But what Leaky is doing, man, it, it's it really is phenomenal. And I think uh, we talk about how Brady Manick and how his passing ability and um, how his unselfishness has kind of permeated throughout the team. I think Leaky's defense has done the same thing. Uh, I think they see him battling and they see how hard he works. And I think it, it, you can't help but that uh, you can't help um, but to feel that it, it's contagious. Uh, so I, I really think that that's been a key for UNC because we've said it time and time again, there's really not been a Carolina team that's championship level that didn't at some point lock down defensively. And we've seen them start to do that uh, over the last, I guess, now six weeks. Yeah, it's and I would challenge the folks that are listening to this show to think about as much as you implicitly trust um, you know, Caleb, when he's uh, taking deep shots, but he's in his bag. Or if you think about uh, how much you trust Brady Manick taking an open three, you likely trust Leaky Black to shut people down now. Uh, and, and just having that sort of guy on the perimeter is just, like you said, Sherelle, it, it's, it's an absolute difference maker for this team because it allows the other guys to focus on, on what their job is, not worry about somebody going nuts. Um, talking about defense, Sean, Hubert Davis said earlier this year that he wished he could cut Leakey in half. And I think he may have tipped his hand a little bit because what we've seen him do now is move Leakey on some different guys. You saw him in the UCLA game start out against Johnny Juzang. Then you saw in the second half, he moved over a little bit and was on uh, Jaime Jaquez. Can you give some insight as to maybe what that does to an offensive player when you, know, you get used to somebody guarding you, then all of a sudden here comes the blanket? I'm sure it's not a uh, not an enjoyable enjoyable feeling. I mean, I think you know for for UCLA, uh, you had Juzang hit a few shots early on, but I mean, I think he kind of realized, hey, I'm not going to be able to get by him. Uh, I might be able to face up, and I'm going to take a contested shot, and if I hit it, I hit it. But then 
Hewitt Hawkwes, uh, who probably thought he could use use his height. Uh, but I mean, I think you, you've seen him guarding. You know, you saw him guard, guard Eater today, and he, he could he could barely get a shot off um, just due to that size and that length. And then you know you've had the taller players um, that have tried to outmuscle him, and I think you know he's he's been in the weight room his, his time at Carolina, so he's been able to get get stronger, but. You know, right now, I think he's been just super solid in terms of being locked in, use, using that wingspan. You know, we, we've talked about it before. I think being a lot more aggressive on both sides of the ball, starting with that home Virginia Tech game. Um, and once again, I'm sure he's going to get get beat. Everybody does, but to kind of really have that that glove, um, which which allows everybody else to kind of focus on what they need to do, has been been a huge uh, huge plus. And I, I would add too, Joey, people got to realize the, the physical fatigue that playing defense, um, you know, puts on your body. It's a, I, I think it's a lot easier to play defense than in his offense because an offense, you know where you're going. A defense, it's all reaction, it's all movement, it's all feet, and then acknowledging the, the scouting report and knowing trends. So it is a, a perfect match of kind of mental approach and, and a high basketball IQ along with physical ability. And to do that for 39, 38, 40 minutes a game is really incredible, not just from just, you know, oh, he held uh, Juzang or Hakuez to one of 12, but also just a, a, a feat of like physical uh, achievement <laughs> to be able to do that and do it as well as, as he does. So I, I think that should be highlighted as well. And, and I, I, maybe I misheard you, but definitely harder to play defense than it is to play offense. Yeah. In my opinion, yeah, for sure. Yes, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, Sherelle, I want to stay here on the defensive side of things. Again, I, I see this as one of the biggest aha things that have, that have popped up and the reasons for this Tar Heel team success. If you think about how bad they were on defense against Tennessee and how they could not stop anything Kentucky wanted to do, the fact that it's the same guys in the same locker room in the same jerseys that are now defensively becoming reliable um, is, just, is, is just insane. Uh, so, Sherelle, I'm going to stay here. Can you shed some light on how Armando Baycott's ability and development as a rim protector has become another component that makes this Tar Heel defense more reliable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wasn't quite as down on him as a shot blocker entering the season. Is <clears throat> what certainly wasn't um, his number one skill. But you go back to the Oregon game in his freshman year, and he was blocking everything. And, you know, he got hurt off after that. And then he really didn't you know, have – many great games, especially as far as blacks are concerned the rest of the season. You go to his sophomore year, and there's a lot of times where he was playing the four with a true five, so he was out on the perimeter. He didn't really have the ability to just kind of hang around the rim and block shots. This year, there's no question who the only and true five is on the roster. And so because of that, with the more minutes, he's able really to just kind of camp out in the lane. There haven't been teams who have been great about taking him out of the paint and so when he can just hang around in there it's not I don't want to say it's not difficult but he's worked on and it seems like he's developed that timing that all really good shot blockers have um, to make sure he's not fouling and then using his length and, and his size and his athleticism to get to the shot so I think it's kind of a three-year progression he, he's had the skills but I think this year he's been put in the best position to get those blocks and again like these are all developments that I think independent of anything else are probably not a big deal. But when you see that they've all come together to make this really uh, beautiful burgoo, it's, it's, it's quite a thing to, 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 to look at. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of Hubert Davis's in-game adjustments. Uh, we talked about this, Tommy Ashley and I did on Inside Carolina Live uh, on Saturday, but I think that might be getting overlooked and will continue to be overlooked as we talk about a Final Four that has Serious blue bloods, but you know, coaching royalty in uh, in K and Self and Jay Wright. But Hubert Davis's little tweaks and his in-game adjustments have been amazing. Not only well times, but I think they've been almost uh, kryptonite for the other team's best players. Sean, I want to go back to to Friday against UCLA. Look at what he did in the in the second half and and making those tweaks to going more side screen for Armando Baycott. Um, making the changes and how he was defending Juzang and how he was defending Hakwes. Look at the results that came from that. And then you also, I look at tonight the way 
RJ Davis was playing the ball handler's right hand very heavily to not allow St. Peter's to get into their high screen action because St. Peter's sets a ton of screens too. So uh, can you speak to that and, and what you've seen as to how Hubert Davis is making some in-game modifications in addition to running a brand new system that seems to be giving this Tar Heel team just a, a great recipe for success? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, you know, and there was a great article on on Saturday morning on Inside Carolina from Trevor who, who broke a lot of that video, video down and you saw in the first half we've talked about it of, of teams using basically a safety off of uh, Leahy black at times and Cronin and UCLA kind of took it e- even further, really just planning him in the lane, which made it difficult, you know, difficult to get Armando the ball. And it, it was difficult for, for the guards all of a sudden you open the second half and, you know, it looks like the floodgates have opened for, for Caleb love to use his, his size and strength to attack the basket and, you know, not even attack, but to, to get, you know, pretty, pretty good looks right, right at the basket, which I think got his confidence going and then in turn got him going from one of the greatest second halves uh, in, in recent memory in a Carolina uniform. Um, but in terms of the adjustments, I mean, you kind of, you can, you notice Hubert on, on the sideline, a lot of the times, you know, calling out the play sets or calling out what he wants. And we've seen it, whether it, it was in the regular season, you know, getting Carmen Walton and open three on the right wing or, or, you know, getting, getting Caleb in space or get, you know, get putting Brady in the corner. Uh, so when you have all these threats, uh, it obviously helps, but he's been able to kind of put them in the right spots and also know what has been, been working in that game to kind of, you know, go, you know, feed the hot hand or take advantage today. It was like making sure Armando is getting the ball down low. That was something Purdue did at the end with, with Travion Williams. And it looked like they were about to, you know, St. Peter's was about to be cooked, but they, they didn't do it enough or they, you know, they only, they didn't focus on it until too late. Um, so I think the game plan, both first half and second halves have been super strong. And then the in-game adjustments have been fantastic to watch or, or read about if you don't, uh, if you don't realize <laughs> they're, they're going on, which can often be the case. Yeah. Those, those Trevor, those breakdowns by Trevor Marks are, are well worth a premium subscription. I mean, he, he really dives into it. It is the, I see, basketball's version of Jason Staples and I, I learn a lot every time I read him. Yeah, Trevor's Trevor is a junkie's junkie and uh I would echo what you guys have said if anybody listening to this the show has not followed Trevor on social media or does not look at the stuff he posts regularly for inside Carolina, man, you are missing something. Um Sherelle, I want to get into some of the psychological stuff here and it's not uh it's not as glamorous or as sexy as a lot of folks would want to talk about, but I think early in the year people couldn't really embrace or maybe didn't understand. I want to try to, you know, try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe didn't understand what Hubert Davis's approach was. Because if you heard a lot of his responses and a lot of his a lot of his press conferences, he was speaking very much in emotional, psychological, and spiritual terms in how he was motivating his team and how he was coaching his team. And I think that frustrated a lot of fans that weren't used to it. They were very much used to the matter of factness that you got from Roy Williams. Hubert is matter of fact as well, but I think he's just, he's approaching these guys on a totally different plane and probably will too, because I think that's his going to be his style. He just connects with guys emotionally as humans. How do you feel like that is paying off right now for these guys? I mean, we see that it is paying off, but what I'd like you to do is, is kind of maybe help folks understand how it's, how it's come to this payoff. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. There is um, there's a player who isn't playing much on the team. And I've been talking to people around him just because it's getting towards the end of the season. And the answer I got was not what I expected when I was like, well, how, how are you doing? How are things? And this person was basically like, you know, all in, you know, Carolina first. Um, you know, this season hasn't gone, you know, quite the way that maybe that person wanted it to. But, you know, they love Coach Davis and um, – the positivity that he has has really kept them engaged and despite them you know not playing a ton of minutes they're still excited and so I think when you have that I think that says that he's gotten buy-in and you know it takes a while for that stuff to happen I think that is the lesson for all of us is that time um, is is really one of the most important things because you can't mold a program as rich and as um historic as UNC 
in your own image in seven games or nine games or 11 games or 30 games. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And because of the talent coming back from last year and because, you know, he was Hubert Davis, uh, excuse me, he was Royal Williams's, you know, kind of selected choice. Um, I think everyone expected it to kind of just click over and be Royal Williams, you know, 2.3 or whatever moving <laughs> forward. <clears throat> and um, he's, he's not, as, I mean, there are a lot of similarities because obviously he learned from, coach Williams, but I don't think it's dissimilar from Roy Williams and coach Smith. There are a lot of similarities between those two, but Roy, you know, decided to do things in his own way to put his stamp on North Carolina and, you know, the positivity and some of the things he said, um, they're what this particular team needed when they needed it. And I think more than anything, they needed, you know, somebody to say, I believe in you. And that's very simple. It's, It's not a, it's not a complicated message, but just hearing it over and over and over, it emboldens you to, to play well. It emboldens you to work harder, um, to do the things, to buy in. So I think psychologically, um, it is very much, you know, uh, to use a football thing, it, it's like running the ball. Like you just keep running the ball and you keep running the ball. And you know what movie I'm going to go to, but you keep running the ball, running the ball, and eventually you're going to break through. And I think that's what Hubert Davis has done with his positivity, not saying that he's just doing it to get a result, but because that's who he is, um, eventually it broke the wall down with the team. You start to, started to see buy-in, and then the buy-in led to the, the great results that they've seen on the court. And now, again, still still can't believe I'm saying it. They're in the Final Four. Well, if, if you would have if you would have called any sort of um, any sort of backside George reverse there, I would have I would <laughs> I've gone in with you because I know where you were going. Um, I like your analysis and talking about how time is so important, right? You can't microwave a Delmonico steak. And, and I think that that's kind of what we're seeing right now. And man, uh, present company included, uh, it's just, it's really, really, I don't know. It's, 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 it takes your words away to try to look at where this team was after some really bad losses early in the year and now look at, how things have come along with Hubert Davis planting the seeds and trying to actually, you know, tend to them normally to let these guys grow and flourish. And it's just, it's, it's crazy to see it on the court. Sean, what do you think having guys who have uh, reduced anxiety and kind of mental freedom, how does that manifest itself in in teams offenses? Because I think that's what we're seeing right now. I mean, I think, you know, it goes to, I mean, some of what we're talking about confidence, um, you know, the coaching staff has showed extreme amount of confidence in the players and also with, with how the offense flows, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, obviously Hubert and the team, the coaching staff are calling a lot of plays and putting them in the position, but, you know, confidence is such a big aspect of this game. And, and right now, you know, I think everybody feels once again, it goes to kind of finding your role and figuring out what, what you're best at. And I think that, it probably took a little while, uh, you know, earlier in the year when we were kind of like wondering what's their identity. But I think when you're, you know, when you're having confidence, then it just allows, you know, you to move a little, a little quicker um, or to, you know, to make that extra pass because, you know, your teammate can hit the shot. I mean, I, I found myself saying nice pass, um, you know, <laughs> numerous times throughout the games lately versus earlier in the year it would be a Brady pass on the wing or, or down low. And it didn't really come from anybody else, but now, you know, it's been Caleb multiple times a game or, or RJ, you know, still manic leaky Armando, et cetera. Um, and I think that just, once again, confidence is such a huge, a huge thing. Um, and, you know, so important for where everybody is right now. Cheryl, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I was, I was just looking back cause I was trying to find a quote and we're talking about the positivity and the confidence Mm-hmm. November 23rd, 2021, UNC had a lackluster performance against UNC Asheville. Ended up winning by, I think, 19, two days after they were destroyed by Tennessee. I was and there. It was not lost, a pretty it game. Pretty, it was not a pretty game. After the game, after the game, Hubert Davis says, says, I don't care what anyone says, I believe this team has a chance to win a national championship. And we all, there is no one, I don't care who you are, if you, if you say you believe that, you're lying. <laughs> there is no one outside of that locker room, probably – only a couple of people in that locker room who believed those words at that time. And just the fact that he has been saying that for so long, um, I, like I said, it just, it eventually wears you down the positivity. You like it worn down from like, 
okay, well, maybe I am pretty good at basketball, even though, you know, I, I shot one for 19 last game. <laughs> maybe I am pretty good, even though I didn't move my feet and, you know, I got called for a blocking foul. Maybe I am pretty good, even though I missed that box out. And I, I think that stuff, you know, over time, it impacts how you play. Like to Sean's point, confidence is a huge part of basketball. We've seen great players, great, great players at Carolina lose their confidence and not play well. And then they get their confidence back. And you're like, what, what happened to this guy? Nothing changed about how they shot the ball. Nothing changed about how they boxed out or how they dribbled. They just believed they can do it. And Hubert Davis has given his team like belief in spades. That's the Jedi mind trick, right? And I will fully confess, I was one of those where when he was making those comments, uh, I kind of gave a full, you know, shout out to the rock people's <laughs> eyebrow because it just, none of it made sense at the time. You know, you were hearing him say this and then you were seeing different things on the court. And, you know, again, reminder to, to fans and, and folks who are listening to the show, he knows better than any of us. He knows these guys better than any of us. Sherelle, when you talk about confidence, I don't know that Tar Heel fans have seen a more confident display than what Caleb Love did in the second half against UCLA. Uh, you know, unconscious flamethrower uh, out of his mind. All of the, you know, all of the cliches have been thrown about. But I want to make sure we we don't lose in, in, in the sight of his 27 points in the second half against UCLA. He was also making plays against St. Peter's that were not, um, were not big shots. He made big shots, yes, but he was also finding cutters on the baseline. Uh, he was also driving and getting defenders to collapse on him to leave the ball off for somebody else. That seems like a guy who's – we know Caleb Love has always been confident, but that seems like a guy right now that is absolutely just um, a man of steel. You know, he's, he's, he's beyond Superman at this point. You've had some conversations with, with Caleb's dad, and, and, you know, you kind of talk to them back and forth. Can you give us some insight as to, to how Caleb went from a confident player to where he is right now? Uh, a lot of that comes from his family. Um, he, he loves you know, his parents, his sister, his, his dad. Um, but they, he's just, he's a confident kid. I mean, I, I think because he's put in a lot of work and I, that gets, um, I think lost a little bit in all this because of his high school ranking. People assume that this is just his talent finally catching up when really he found an issue that he had last season. One of them being turnovers, the other being, you know, kind of future shooting from three and said, I'm going to attack this all off season and get better. And I mean, the numbers are, are so much higher than they were in specifically those two categories alone um, that shows you, you know, that he puts in the work. I think the other thing is that um, him and his dad have, have a great relationship and they, they do a, a lot of film watching and talking to Dennis and he won't mind if I share this, but uh, before, I guess, after they beat Baylor and UCLA won, he kind of said, been watching a lot of UCLA tape and I, I think Caleb's got a, a matchup there that he can take advantage of and I was like oh why do you say that and he you know went through and, and talked about the basketball answers and, and it made sense and I think um he made his first three from the left wing didn't make another shot in the first half I think it was one of eight or one of nine or something like that in the first half but what happened to your point Joey he saw that and, and this was an adjustment by Hubert Davis as well that Trevor talked about once he started going towards the rim it's just like everything opened up for him. That was, uh, I think Greg Barnes mentioned it, one yes. of his best games um, as far as getting to the rim and finishing at the rim, probably his UNT career, because he did it over and over. And once he got two or three of those, I think that's when the light bulb went off and kind of the, the AAU Caleb came back because <laughs> um, that emboldened him to just you know start hitting those threes. And then once they hit the threes, they started to crowd them and then he started going by guys. And again, momentum can, once, once it gets going, it's hard to stop. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then he's talked about this too. Um, he's used the Calm app for the last like mm. year and a half to help him kind of kind of meditate before games and relax before games. And so I, I texted his dad and I asked him before the UCLA game, this is probably about 7.30. I said, you know, how are you feeling? How's Caleb feeling? And he said, extremely relaxed. And I thought, Hmm, that that could bode well for UNC. Didn't see a 27 point second half coming, but um, yeah, it was a great performance. And it's weird, Joey, because I feel like we keep saying, you know, this was the first time, or this is the best in UNC history, or uh -huh. this has never happened before. But you start looking at all the things, like 
beating Coach K and Cameron in his last game. Uh, you know, I think uh, the first time two teammates have had 30-point games mm-hmm. in the NCAA tournament, Manic was two points away from that. R.J. Davis had the second most assists in the NCAA tournament game. Mm-hmm. Baycott has the most rebounds through four NCAA tournament games. Caleb Love has the most threes um, through four games uh, by a UNC player. Um, <clears throat> Baycott has tied for the most rebounds in a single game in UNC history. It's just like uh, Love and Manic have shared the record with Marcus Page. Uh, Love's done it twice with six threes in the NCAA tournament game. That's a school record. So just all these records being broken over the last two weeks. I mean, it's just, it's so weird that, that how things flipped. Um, and, that, and that's the beauty of sports is that you're never out until you're out. And uh, Carolina has, has taken this, this second chance that they got. And really, as Coach Smith would say, built their momentum in the tournament. You can't, um, I, I don't think you can really overstate the importance of how they got out against Marquette because that gave them the confidence that they could play, play with Baylor. They survived Baylor, and that gave them the confidence that they could survive UCLA. And then today was more about, uh, you know, kind of finishing the job on this first four-game tournament. So uh, Coach Smith, as always, is right. You build your momentum in the tournament, <laughs> and then Carolina showed that this year. And we have said on this show ad nauseum, I was talking to my neighbor about this after the game Friday, we have said on the show ad nauseum, this team finds a different way to get a game result every night. Like, I don't think, you know, we've made the joke about Carolina football uh, offline about how Carolina football has the same script a thousand times. This basketball team is the polar opposite. Uh, They have had different results and a different way to get to said results um, more times than I can count. Uh, And when you think about things that are more numerous than you can count, naturally that takes you to the inventory selection of Johnny T-shirt. Right. I mean, Johnny T-shirt is going to have that was a elite. That was elite. <laughs> that was elite. Uh, look, this this that is was elite. This is tournament time segue right here. Okay, I've I've officially lost both. Oh, I've officially lost most of my analysts on this show. But um, it, it, we've talked about Johnny T-shirts, Johnny T-shirts, uh, locker room tees that they they've got available for pre-order right now. <laughs> Sean, come back. Let's go. Uh, Johnny T-shirt is going to have that and much more. Um, my daughter's soccer season, because you all care, my daughter's soccer season started back up this past weekend. Johnny T-shirt has the, uh, the throwbacks to UNC women's soccer uh, greats, gold medalists. They have Steve those Miller. jerseys. Yes. Uh, they've got, I think it's Lily and Ham and uh, Heather O'Reilly. You know, big, I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, but you can go get those at Johnny T-shirt. What don't they have, right? I've said it a, a thousand times. If Johnny T-shirt doesn't have it, you don't need it. Hit Johnny T-shirt up. Go visit him on Franklin Street. Look, you're in a celebratory mood. You want to go to Chapel Hill for no reason. Go to Chapel Hill right now. If you're going, if you're going to be in Chapel Hill when the team arrives, then you need to swing by Johnny T-shirt. If they're not open when, when the team arrives, then you wait until Johnny T-shirt opens and you go get your gear. JohnnyT-shirt.com. Hit them up on East Franklin Street. Premium subscribers get the extra 10% off. We are big fans of theirs. They support the content that Inside Carolina puts out. And... Uh, my segues to Johnny T-shirt ads are only secondary to their level of selection and merchandise that they have. Johnny T-shirt, we love them. We'll let the national guys drop some ads in here for a second. We'll be right back to continue talking about, still shaking my head, this Tar Heel team going to the Final Four in New Orleans. Stick around. All right, we're back. Coast to Coast podcast still coming at you. I'm Joey Powell, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, still with us, still giving you the kind of the cut up of this past weekend. Friday night, 73-66 to 66 win over UCLA in what was a very different game than what you saw the Tar Heels play against Baylor. Uh, and then 69-49 over St. Peter's. We've talked about the defensive side of things. We've talked about some of the psyche. I now want to kind of look at where this team can go from here. I don't want to do Final Four previews. We're going to do that later in the week. Inside Carolina is going to have all of the content you can stomach and then some. So make sure you stay locked in. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, a matter of fact, just hammer, hammer the subscribe button. Make sure you're getting this content sent directly to your device. But we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Final Four preview here. But, Cheryl, I want to talk about specifically where can these guys continue to go? You talked about, uh, you talked about guys growing momentum and building their own momentum in the course of a tournament. Uh, give me one guy that you think probably still has a little bit more uh, before he hits his ceiling and what that skill set might be. And Sean, I'm going to ask you the same question. So 
whatever Sherell says, pick a different player and a different skill set. I'll still probably go with Armando Baycott, honestly. I mean, he has dominated uh, on the glass, but I think offensively, there have been times where he's missed some some easy ones, some some bunnies, and I think he'll probably get that cleaned up. He'll have uh, a, a full week of rest to get ready um, to go against uh, the ACC's Defensive Player of the Year and, and others. So I think um, I'm, I'm looking at him because he played really well um, offensively, I would say. Uh, there was a str- I mean, he's played well offensively the entire season, don't get me wrong. But you mm-hmm. did start to see a little bit of a dip there towards the end of the season. I think he got worn down some from – playing so many minutes and getting double and sometimes triple team. So, so um, I think a, a, a reconcerted effort to get him the ball on the post and in the places that he likes uh, will can open things up, open things up even more for UNC's offense. And I think he'll be able to finish at a higher clip uh, with some rest and, and with uh, renewed energy um, after this uh, regional final win. Two things, share your rest stat about this Tar Heel team. <laughs> so they're undefeated uh, with five days of rest. They're now seven and zero when they've had five or more days of rest, and they are also undefeated uh, when they have one day's rest. So, uh, for instance, a, a Saturday Monday um, during mm. the season, or there was a stretch where they had um, Saturday Monday Wednesday. They mm-hmm. won all three of those. So um, undefeated in those two situations. Mm, noteworthy. I uh, also want to point out when you said Armando Bacot going against the Defensive Player of the Year, you were talking about the Associated Press and the conference's named Defensive Player of the Year, which is not Leaky Black. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, Sean, who, who, who would you like to say probably still has more to give or has a little more room between even where they're performing and their ceiling? Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a few – few different places with this one. Uh, first, not going to take Armando. Sherelle talked about him, but for him, uh, free throw shooting. Last three games, he's been under 50% mm. from the line. And, you know, points in the final four, you know, you, you need to get them when you can. Um, so that's the only thing for Armando. But um, I'm, I'm going to go with the guards and the wing. So for Leaky Black, um, been playing fantastic defensively. Um, offensively, he's been, you know, attacking more, but uh, obviously there's four guys that can kill you and he's the one that, that won't kill you offensively. He hasn't hit a three, uh, in March. Um, and it's hard, you know, Oh, for one, Oh, for two per game. But if, if Duke or whoever's leaving him open, you know, if he can hit just one, I think that opens up a lot for the team. Uh, but then it's really the, the guards. Um, so RJ Davis had the, you know, fantastic game against Baylor had the 12 assists against Marquette, but you look at, uh, you know, say the tournament time. Uh, so ACC two games and where we're at now four games, he's only about 24% from three. And that includes the five for 10 uh, performance against Baylor. So uh, outside of that game, he, he's definitely been struggling. And I think you've seen defensive defenses try to key on him, uh, especially this weekend um, and try to get up under him a little bit more. And then finally, Caleb Love, he had a great game, obviously against UCLA, um, you know, came bounce back from a, a subpar Baylor game. But if he can, uh, what we've seen, what we saw this past weekend, if he can get to the rim and finish like he was doing, um, using the right angles and not fading away and, and getting a shot block like that adds a whole nother dimension that we hadn't, we haven't really seen just because he has shot poorly from the two. He's been great from three, but if he, if he can get that going like he did, you remember at Cameron his freshman year, um, getting getting to the paint. If he can do that, I mean, those three players all have, you know, they've been playing great, but all have that one one more gear to go. I think. I would challenge our listeners and viewers to go back and watch uh, in the second half against um, UCLA when, when North Carolina started. We were really kind of going blow for blow with him. He had one situation where he crossed up from right to left. Uh, went to his left and made the layup with his right as his body was going left. That's an incredibly difficult shot to make. He did another one tonight against St. Peter's, which I think was in the first half when UNC had a stretch between the under 12 to the under eight where they went plus 10. Uh, they went on 12-2 run uh, where he also he went baseline uh, and went up with his right and finished with his left on the other side of the hoop. And I don't know that our listeners or the average viewer can can grasp just how difficult and athletic those two plays are. Uh, but to your point, Sean, if, if he can continue to get to the rim in that fashion, he's shown that he has the ability to finish at an elite level. Um, Joey, 
Joe, yeah. you made this point a couple of weeks ago. He's also among the career leaders in free throw percentage in USA yeah. history. So yeah. for him, attacking the basket is the way to go. It's it's not, as Sean said, fading away, but jump into people. You know, seek that contact. There are guards who have been really great at seeking contact and get yourself to the free throw line. I mean, that's when you're 88, 89% of the free throw line, that's really good for your offense, really good for your team. Um, so I, I think that that bodes well for him. I think back to the last couple of seasons where you know, North Carolina fans were really infuriated by how poorly the team shot free throws. And now you've got uh, the best free throw shooting team in the ACC, and uh, they continue to do the same, even when they've missed some clutch ones in, in tough situations in the tournament, they've still been able to overcome it because they've made more than they've missed. And, and that's really all you want to see. I want to stay with the guards here, guys. Uh, we saw a really phenomenal assisted, uh, assist to basket ratio in the first weekend. Uh, they had 51 assists on 62 made field goals. Not as good this weekend. Uh, Sherelle, do you think that was more of a product of the types of defenses that they were playing against? And, and maybe the team just found other ways to win? Or is there something more going on there? Yeah, I think especially against UCLA, um, I, th- I think it's the, the style of defense that was played. And even, <clears throat> excuse me, even tonight against St. Uh, against St. Peter's, um, kind of the same deal. Um, because the best shot for UNC tonight was really, I want to say a missed shot was the best shot. But when you have Baycott, you know, patrolling the lane like that, you maybe are a little more cavalier in your shot selection. When you're up 20, mm-hmm. maybe you're a little more cavalier in moving the ball and that kind of stuff. So I think um, – I think those are factors that need to be considered as well in that UCLA, UCLA played a style of defense that I think was specifically limited, specifically um, utilized to limit North Carolina's ball movement and to, and to eliminate some of those open threes. And they just hit, had to hit tough shots. And I think against St. Peter's, they got out to such a big lead so quickly um, that, you know, maybe stuff just wasn't as sharp as it should have been for the entire 40 minutes. So those, those, that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, to back up my what I said with, with stats, too, uh, 51 of 62 last weekend, 26 to 52 this weekend. So, and, uh, market and again, difference. And Marquette, I mean, just the way Marquette plays, you're going to move the ball. And if you can move the ball, somebody's going to be wide open, basically. So, I do think it has a lot to do with the style of defense they saw. Uh, Sean, we talked about a little bit about how much Brady Manick's passing uh, can lead to confidence with this team. I think you may have led with that earlier this year, uh, you know, after a game where North Carolina just really looked really good offensively. Uh, I'm looking at stats from the game against St. Peter's. 19 points on 7-11 from the field. Uh, he hit four of six from three, uh, you know, and, and eight rebounds. Can you explain what a matchup problem he might be moving forward? Because we've seen, you know, earlier in the season, he was a bit of a liability on defense. But now I've seen where, He's getting a little more of a of a veteran, uh, old head type defensive mentality about him, and he's become a bit of the the nightmare. He's been able to hold his own on defense. And he's becoming a bit of a matchup nightmare for the Tar Heels. Yeah, I mean, you know, against UCLA, uh, Hawkwes missed his last nine nine shots, and it wasn't all on Manic, but he was able to move his feet. And once again, he's not going to jump out of the gym and block your shot, but with his height. You know, he, he's been able to contest and, and make things difficult. Um, but I think, you know, what, what's his strength? That's offensively. And he's been, you know, I, I think now we almost take it for, for granted of at what, a, you know, outside of the, the uh, Virginia Tech game, I mean, at what a high level he's been, been playing at and shooting the ball. And I think, you know, we can go back, you know, maybe early January, mid-January. I think we were talking, and it might have been the UVA first game, where that was – almost seemed like the first time he had got it going because, uh, you know, November, December, you can kind of go through this. I'm kind of looking through it now, but you see, you know, one, three, two, three, you, you saw him, you saw the ability. You just didn't see him just, you know, that Uber confidence. And he was, I think 35%. Now he's at 40% on the year. I mean, anytime he, he lets it go, you think it's going in, let alone when he's wide open, like he was that, that huge three against UCLA that put him up. So it, it really goes um, offensively, spreading the floor, being a, a sharp shooter. But I think when teams are looking at him, they say, all right, you know, we're the four is going to have to guard him out on the perimeter, but just get up in him and, you know, let him get a shot off. But now he's also such a threat and he's been doing it for a while, uh, but off the ball in terms of his movement, uh, back cuts and his ability to finish at the rim. I think, 
you know, now I think we might've seen one or two misses around the rim and you're surprised because he always gets to the spot he wants and he gets there before the shot blocker or the defender can, can come over and really contest it. You've been pointing out his, uh, his ability to flash on these back cuts and baseline uh, backdoor opportunities. I can't, uh, I don't think that can be overstated as to how much of a dimension that adds to this offense, especially when you've got a guy like Baycott who can catch the ball in the high post, uh, especially with a four out, you know, one in offense, or when you've got dry guards who are driving to the basket, you've got a guy like Baycott cutting on the baseline. It just gives this team so much more depth and dimension into their offense. All right, Shrill, you, you have done a great job of not being caught up in the moment. I know you're very uh, diligent, not letting that happen and not letting the, the present tense, you know, uh, get you to extreme hyperbole. But is there anybody that, that, that Brady Manick reminds you of when you think about this team versus some of the all-time Carolina tournament success teams? Uh, who's the first person that comes to mind that maybe you want to talk about? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, there, there's a meatball right there on the tee for you if you want it, <laughs> but I'm trying to avoid that. Yeah, I'm going to stay away from that one. Uh, you know, he, he reminds me of just kind of the, the three fours, you know, that, that have been, have done well at UNC on championship high level teams, not necessarily in style of play, but just kind of what they contribute, which is a lot of savviness, um, a lot of just high basketball IQ plays. Mm -hmm. Um, George Lynch was great in 1993. My man, that's that's who I was thinking about. I wanted you to go there, but I didn't want to lead you. I am so thankful that that's where you went <laughs> because you're exactly right. It's not style of play. It's what right. he brings to the team. Please right. continue. Just high basketball IQ um, and ability to rebound. Obviously, he's not anything close to the defender that George Lynch was, but George no. Lynch is anything close to the offensive player that Brady Manning was. But their ability to help settle things, um, their ability, like, like I said, um, to move the ball. George Lynch was a, a phenomenal passer um, playing the four most of the year, which – I think people always thought they kind of play two bigs, but George Lynch was the four from the 1993 team. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think they have those similarities. Um, even, you know, if you look at the 2005 team, um, he brings a lot of the things that Jawad Williams brought to that team um, at the four as well, which is timely shooting, um, good ball movement. And then sometimes no one, <clears throat> excuse me, when to get out of the way, frankly, um, there, there are times when it's like Baycott needs the space and he will just, you know, flare out to the corner wait his turn. And then to your point, Sean, your point, Joey, Leakey has done a great job of finding him usually once per game on those back cuts um, for dunks or, or layups. So um, I think I just think of George Lynch is patrolling the patrolling the baseline. Mm -hmm. When I whenever I think about him, that's where, where I go catching lobs, you know, hovering, uh, hovering, hovering. Yeah. Just, yeah. And, and Manic does that, but in a very 2022 way, um, which is, you know, hitting threes from the corner, um, pick and pops and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, again, I'm not saying he plays like George Lynch, but what he brings to the team, I, I think, is actually pretty similar. We are absolutely wavelengthing. We are vibing, as the kids <laughs> say right now, because that's that's who I thought about when I threw you the question. But um, I, I absolutely agree. It's not a style of play as much as it is a contribution. Because if you will think, you know, George Lynch was always considered the locker room leader of that team. And I think going back to what Brady Manick said after the Tennessee game, I think it was the Tennessee game, uh, where he kind of asserted himself as the, this is not what I came here for, leader of this team. I think there, there are great similarities there. All right, guys, I'm going to do something I've never done here on this show before, so, so go with me here. Um, big weekend. I'm going to go a little off script here. We're going to riff. Uh, Sean, I've run out of things that I want to talk about. I'm going to let you drive a little bit. Where, where are some things that you feel like we really need to hit home in order to make sure we've covered all our bases on, on this particular weekend? on this episode of the Coast to Coast? Great question. Um, I would go to the bench. Um, we haven't really talked about, once again, the, the bench doesn't get a lot, of, a lot of playing time, but we, you know, last week it was Dontrez that came up, came up huge. Uh, this week, Dontrez played a little bit early in UCLA, but then, uh, you know, we kind of talked about it last week, Puff might be the better fit against the UCLA team. And, you know, he, he was going, you know, Juzang or Hakwes, he was, they put him on and all of a sudden, you know, not as good as Leaky, but he was pretty, he was pretty dang good uh, guarding, guarding those guys. And then he played again today. And once again, if, if there's foul trouble or you need, you need a rest, you know, can kind of puff 
uh, or Dantras come in next week and and kind of keep that keep that high level of play going. So I would say the bench, you know, you know, not, not getting a lot of playing time, but any minute will be a crucial minute going forward. So that that's something that you know I think is is important to to uh, to chat about. Yeah, man. Thanks for bringing it up. And for the the film junkies who listen to the show, go back. There was a, a part at about eight ten or eight fifteen left in the second half. Puff Johnson got caught. Uh, you know, well, he didn't get caught. He was assigned man on man against. Uh, I think it was Hawkwes or Juzang at one point. Just got right up in his chest. Uh, got him to a challenge jumper from I don't know eight to ten feet out. Uh, the jumper was missed, and then Puff gets the rebound and gets fouled on the rebound. And that's just Again, that that's just really impressive defense when you think about a, a player who has not played a lot, who has been called on sporadically, but has been thrust into very important situations. Uh, Sean, I think that kind of encapsulates the point you were going to. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Cheryl, I'm going to give you the same opportunity. W- what is something that you feel like just really jumped off the screen at you this past weekend, whether it be Friday night's game, uh, the game against St. Peter's, or both that you feel like is just – a must discuss point for, for this show. I'm going to cheat a little bit, but I'm going to go uh, Baylor beating Baylor and UCLA back to back. I think kind of gets lost in the noise because they're in the final four now, but those are two really good, really experienced, really disciplined teams. And I think a big rap on North Carolina this year was that they, it it wasn't disciplined for a lot of time that if you just, you know, waited a little bit, they would, they would make a mistake uh, physically, you know, by, turning the ball over or, you know, taking a bad shot or, or, or mentally by forgetting to switch or, or forgetting what defense or whatever. And to go toe to toe with them, you know, to, to blow Baylor out for part of the game and then survive. And then <clears throat> to always kind of feel like they were on the ropes. Uh, it almost feel like, you know, one more shot for UCLA, maybe five or six times and then the game would have been over mm-hmm. to just hang on um, and, and to beat them. That is not that team, that UCLA team, is really good. And they are, they reminded me somewhat of, of the UNC 2016 team. Yeah. Um, in that, <clears throat> you know, North Carolina lost Marcus Page and Bryce Johnson for sure. So huge pieces. Um, but they brought a lot of people back and it was the whole time it was redemption tour. That's all it was redemption, redemption, redemption. And UCLA kind of had a, a similar feel once Juzang announced that he was coming back. You know, they kind of got the crew back together. They added a really good transfer in, in Miles Johnson, which Mick Cronin is probably hitting himself for not playing him more um, <laughs> on, on Friday. There, there were some coaching decisions by Mick Cronin. I'm like, man, you, you're kind of handicapping yourself. Um, <clears throat> but they had that vibe, and they, it, it felt like a little bit like they were just waiting for the postseason so they could turn it on. And they gave North Carolina a, a couple of combos that probably early in the season would have knocked them out, but UNC you know, held on. So I think just the, the mental toughness to beat Baylor the way they did, to come back against uh, UCLA – and then to not to resist the temptation to look forward past St. Mm-hmm. Peter's, I think all three of those things are are huge storylines that that should be highlighted because um, even I would say past UNC teams wouldn't, but even this team um, maybe a couple months ago would have looked at St. Peter's and been like, oh, we we're good, we got them, and th- you know that's how you lose to a Pittsburgh at home. I was going to say so, this team got caught slipping looking past right, Pittsburgh, so right. So you see, you see the growth, and you see the growth not just over the season, but really over the course of the tournament. You know, uh, when you mentioned that kind of that UCLA team getting the band back together, I said on Twitter during the game, I know it's easy to say now because North Carolina beat them, but that was an incredibly disciplined UCLA squad, a very veteran UCLA squad that, as you mentioned, were majority all guys that they brought back from the year before who who made a deep run into the Final Four. And uh going back to something we said last week about the toughness of this team, right? Like you saw a North Carolina team go against one of the most disciplined squads that I've seen in quite some time. Maybe uh, a Jay Wright full-strength Villanova team is the exception, but you saw a North Carolina team go up against one of the most disciplined squads they've seen and make UCLA blank, which is just not something that, uh, not something I think anybody would have suspected much less in the middle of this run, but prior to the season. Um, Guys, last shot before we get out of here. Uh, Sean, anything else we need to talk about before we we put a bow on this year's show? <laughs> um, a few quick things. The power of the three. I mean, once again, UNC has been shooting, you know, especially the improvement from the last two years. But 
you know, you keep hanging around, hanging around, and then, you know, two threes in a row against UCLA or, or even, you know, at Duke down, what was it, eight or nine going into the half, and all of a sudden, you know, two threes and they're right back in it. So that's one thing. We started the show talking about defense. Um, I wish I had kind of a chart of, of how UNC has been ranked defensively in Ken Palm, but, you know, at one point they were sub one, you know, they were like 101 in the 80s for the most part. They're number 39 right now. So definitely a, big improvement and then stay on defensively Armando Baycott there was two possessions second half of UCLA where he got switched on to Tyre Campbell and then switched on to Hawkwes he stayed with both of them you know blocked Hawkwes's shot um emphatically (laughs) emphatically and I believe he made Tiger turn the ball over uh staying with him in that one and that was something I didn't fully catch when I was first watching it but you know to have that ability I think you know, shows, shows a lot. So those are my, uh, my items as we, as we wrap it up. Your, your final two cents. All right, Sherelle, I will afford you the same opportunity as we did a few minutes ago. Uh, again, you take as much line as you want to take. Uh, the, these shows don't come or come around often. And I want to say before we let you, you get off and I hope this isn't what you were, what you were going to, but folks who are listening to this show. Enjoy this show. Enjoy this season. Enjoy what's happening right now because it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, sure, I'll go ahead, man. Yeah, uh, mine is not basketball analysis. It's more about feelings and um, what North Carolina basketball, you know, why it means so much to so many. Um, so I would say um, joy in this situation is greater than dread. And just remember what it took for UNC to get here. I realize <clears throat> what is on the horizon for them, and I realize there is kind of an impending doom almost it seems to be coming over uh durham county and orange county um but to joy's point cherish these moments so uh, a few friends of mine have have had some some big lifetime issues um recently uh some deaths in the family uh my friend brandon d his his dad donnie uh passed away in january my really good friend michael tompkins uh, lost his father john tompkins this past week and then my buddy Jimmy Leak, uh, his dad is is um, fighting some things medically, and those three guys, what they have in common, is that I think probably their favorite thing to do with their dad is to watch Carolina basketball. Mm-hmm. And so, I would just urge everyone to live in the moment and remember um, that, you know, tomorrow's not promised, and just enjoy it. You know, these are the memories you're creating, the memories that you're going to enjoy. You know, in five, 10, 15 years now. So that would be my message to Carolina fans. It's because. Um, those three guys, you know, they, they want to be, they would love to talk to their dad or two of them would love to talk to their dad right now and they can't, and they're going to look back at some of the memories they had in in previous Carolina seasons or games, um, for comfort. And so just remember that, you know, you have that now you have that opportunity. So take advantage of it and, and, uh, enjoy it and, and don't dread because no matter what happens, this has been a phenomenal season for Hubert Davis. Um, he's got, arguably the best regular season win in UNC history. And he just led his team to the final four. So that would be my message to the Carolina fan base is um, enjoy it because you just don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. We definitely want to offer our best to those three guys. Um, Two of them I know and are uh, big time listeners of of this show and are big uh, fans of inside Carolina. So sending up the best for those guys. And and like Sherelle said, uh, he said it really well. And I'll add on to that. Um, Hey, my parents have been married 45 years and, the game that's coming up next weekend might cause them to get divorced. Uh, so, you know, these things never happen often. I mean, this is the first time it's ever happened in history. So rather than shying away from it, uh, embrace it and, you know, look the opportunity for what it is. They rarely happen. Uh, Final fours rarely happen. And, and like you said, Sherelle, there are memories to be made. Uh, as you're listening to this show, maybe you're sharing this show with somebody you care about, or maybe you're, uh, you're discussing this show with somebody you care about. We're honored to be in that discussion, but, um, yeah, take these things for, for what they're worth and don't let that, uh, don't let that pass you by. Uh, and that's a great place to end this show. Um, I appreciate you guys bringing it. I uh, appreciate Sherelle. I mean, look, I I'm going to stop before we pass the hat because if it, I started the show with some gospel, if we need to get a praise break going on in here to get out today, I, I don't mind. Right. Like if, if the, if the Holy ghost should capture this show, uh, <laughs> then, then so be it. Um, not a guy to speak in tongues, but you know, things happen. Uh, it's been a heck of a ride. So, uh, we will allow that to carry us out today. Uh, for Sean Moran, for Sherelle McMillan, big shout out to Johnny t-shirt. 
Make sure you check them out. Shout out to John Siegley for producing. Remember, Inside Carolina is going to cover this Final Four like nobody you've ever seen. Nobody should even try to attempt. Everybody else should just, you know, get off the sticks, head home and watch. Uh, go home, be a family man, because Inside Carolina is going to cover this Final Four better than anybody. You know where to find your content. Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate you being here. Appreciate you listening. Stay tuned for more stuff throughout the week. But as I said, for Sean Moran, for Cheryl McMillan, I'm Joey Powell. This has been the Coast to Coast podcast following a North Carolina Final Four trip to New Orleans. Go figure. Late.